2: The Around the League Podcast would follow Mike Tomlin
1: anywhere. Welcome to another edition of the Around the League Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined by some heroes: Dan Hansis and Dan Hansis. What? What? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, that was uh, that was inventive. Well, Dan complained over text messaging that he was not mentioned early enough in the show. Uh, and he sent it where he, he sees where we're at in our thinking, and he said, hashtag noted. So I just wanted to make sure if Dan's listening to today's show that we
4: mention him a lot at the top. You've checked that box. I'm happy that Greg is immersed in a book that Mark and I uh, mm. really, I feel like it's my favorite football book ever, and I know you've read it, A Fan's Notes by Fred Actually, kind of a cult classic but speaks metaphorically about football and life. Seems like just a classic
1: in general, not a football book. There is that great feeling when you're just starting a book and you can tell quickly that it's gonna be one that you always remember. I don't know. That's a great for a big nerd. That's a great feeling because I can tell this is it's gonna be a winner.
5: And it was uh, a book from my shelf that I. It was the version out of my household that mm. I lent to Greg. So points for my career potentially, having gone <laughs> down that How close is
4: your bookshelf to your shirt closet?
1: Uh, it's within a yard's distance. <laughs> all, all joking aside, we we do miss Dan Hansis, but yeah, I like you better, Mark. That that's fair well. to say. Um, let's get into it. We're gonna have a big show today. We're gonna talk a little news, and then we're gonna bring in Bucky, Bucky Brooks here, our favorite recurring guest, really our only recurring guest right now. But he's coming back. He always brings the heat, and we're gonna have a big juicy conversation about a lot of NFL topics. But in the meantime. Gold standard. How you doing?
2: I'm good. How are you, Greg?
1: I am doing fantastic. Were you okay with that open the hands bit? Yeah, or?
2: you took you took a risk, and I'd say you came out well.
1: You know, we can't just do the same show and fall into the same routine week after week. We got to shake it up. But let's do some news. Let's do it. All right. Let's start with the Colin Kaepernick contract. More details have come out since our last show. On Wednesday, we learned that $61 million guaranteed is not really guaranteed. The 49ers can get out of the contract at really almost any year. Only $13 million is guaranteed. Uh, They can essentially make the choice after three years if he's not playing well. They'll have only played Colin Kaepernick $43 million at that point. There's a lot of details here. Chris Wesseling... What do you make of all the criticism that the contract has gotten now after the fact?
4: The criticism's crazy because it comes at a point and and we have this almost every major contract in the NFL. Everybody weighs in on it before the details come out. And to me I like to look I know you do too, you like to look at the three year window. Who's getting paid what in the next three years? Kaepernick's total is forty four point one seven million which is behind six other quarterbacks, including Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Flacco, Romo, and Cutler. So it's not really what everybody said it was on Wednesday.
1: And it's not really guaranteed either. The the whole thing with guaranteed money is no matter what happens, you're going to get that money. If Colin Kaepernick really struggles and Jim Harbaugh goes to another team, or even let's say Kaepernick is just a disappointment, not really struggling, but... He just doesn't fit the new coach's style, and he's not playing well. They can get out of the contract very easily in two or three years.
5: And there's this in these years where they can get out of the contract where they only need to decide by April 1st, which gives the 49ers really, in terms of offseason, planning a massive window to have a contingency plan to bring someone in to replace Colin Kaepernick down the road if that's what they choose, while leaving Kaepernick Completely out in the woods. That's where I think I agree with Wesley that too much is made of all of this. But in in terms of an agent coming in and really playing a savvy role here, this is the one nugget that kind of struck me as
1: odd. Yeah, and I think it. We talked about on Wednesday that it was a weird. It was maybe not a weird contract for a guy that was still improving, but this contract makes all the sense in the world to me, and it makes sense why Colin Kaepernick. Uh, took it as well because he's confident he's going to earn that money. Maybe he's not going to make the Super Bowl or be a first-team All-Pro and he needs to do that to make some incentives, but he's going to make plenty of money and they can always revisit it. And I, I think all the criticism that the agents are taking is mostly overblown because it's up to the player and the agents to decide what's important to them. And maybe it's not the most important thing to every single player and every single agent that you squeeze every last dollar and you get the perfect market value. Maybe Colin Kaepernick's like, Hey, eighteen, nineteen million $19 million a year. I have only started a year and a half. I'm okay with that.
5: And doesn't, it seem like Kaepernick's the one quarterback at times that can't catch a break for who he actually is hmm. and what he's done. It, why not spin this? hey, this guy maybe doesn't care about just money over other things. That's exactly the story that no one's saying about Kaepernick. It's let's kill the agent, let's kill everyone else. This is a disaster, and
4: it's quite the opposite. I like that it gives the 49ers a little wiggle room financially with Crabtree, Vernon Davis, Mike Yipoti, Alex Boone, Hmm. Alden Smith, all these guys either talking about a contract already or will need a new contract within the next calendar year.
1: Another surprising story that came up uh, on Thursday was from the Washington Redskins tight end Jordan Reed, a guy who I'll just uh, throw it out there. We've been talking about for our Making the Leap series, so you'll have to tune in and, and check to see if he makes it. But he talked about his concussion at the end of last year, and he admitted that he had suffered a concussion two weeks before the publicized concussion. And he said, I didn't tell nobody when it happened, so when I took a shot to the side of my head against the Eagles, it made it worse. I was in a bad spot for a long time. I didn't know if th- they would ever go away, but I'm past it now. He actually talked that it his concussion problems lasted for two months. He's had four concussions going back to college that we're aware of. Is this a big concern for Jordan Reed in the Redskins offense?
4: I think it should be a concern long term. I-, I think the Redskins have to be a little bit leery of that. But I—, I- I don't think, like, um, it. it's not the end of the world. For instance, we were th- saying the same things about Shady McCoy at the end of a couple of years ago mm-hmm. when he he was still showing symptoms a month and a half, two months later.
5: It's like, it, I agree with that. And it, in, in terms of Reed, there's a very good reason he's a making-the-leap candidate when he's on the field. And if he can get past those problems, the guy has the ability to be a star. But, you know, the, he's the current embodiment of what old NFL players dealt with week after week, where concussions weren't even something that you talked about out on the surface, and you probably had to hide a lot of issues.
1: Well, he is proof that the current system is vastly improved. There's so much more concussion awareness. I think players come out of the games earlier, but there's still a lot of players hiding concussions. There is an NFL executive patting Greg on the shoulder right now. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm criticizing. True, I mean, I'm saying that it's not foolproof because, at all, because ultimately... A lot of players, I think, are hiding concussions because they think it's good for their career. Jordan Reed said that he had a concussion two weeks before, and he didn't tell anyone. And you know what happened? A couple weeks later, he suffered another one, and he said he started to get a little scared. Maybe, like, I'm going to be like this forever, but it ended up going away, and that was after two months. So he didn't follow the normal protocol, and it's sort of on the players to tell their team doctors and everything that they're getting the concussions or this type of thing happens. Moving on to a happier story, let's talk a little Kristen Michael, another guy that we're thinking about for our Making the Leap series. Watch out for that. We weren't sure if he was going to get enough carries to really make the leap, but some comments made at a Seahawks town hall. I didn't know teams had town halls. Oh, yeah.
4: What is a town hall when, when it comes to a team? They meet with the fans, and the fans have the opportunity to kind of voice their opinion and ask questions Upfront and close. Is it's it sm- It's smart for winning teams to hold this type of event. Why? <laughs> what about losing teams? It's, it can go awry. You don't want to be. You don't want sh- a, a shoe thrown at your head.
1: Is it literally held at a town hall at a city hall, or is it? I think it's in in a, just a colloquialism. <laughs> Do people go to town hall meetings? You know how they have those things. Do they still have that? Do people go to the meeting and they sit and they and they make complaints about the community? I
5: have a friend who is a reporter. In a different city where that is true. He has to walk up and down the halls
4: of a town hall. I can tell you that the the Wednesday town hall meeting, or the Thursday town hall meetings on Tybee Island get nice and rabid. Do you go? Have you ever been? I made a deal. (laughs) I've told you guys that the mayor of of Tybee Island is a guy I grew up with and was my roommate uh, right after when I was delivering mail, basically. And when I moved to Tybee, I had to make a deal with him that I would not get involved in politics or attend the town hall meetings.
5: Well, why do I have a feeling those meetings veer away from simply, you know, quaint political discussion on Tybee because Island?
4: many a wayward soul wanders into these <laughs> meetings. Mm. Gold standard. Have you ever been
1: to a town hall meeting? We're really off the rails here. I haven't, but
2: I I watched the town hall with Pete Carroll today, Mm. and my favorite part was the fact that people didn't even have concrete questions prepared. They just really wanted to talk to Pete Carroll. (laughs) So a bunch of hands would go up, and and (laughs) cheerleaders were going around handing out the microphones, and someone would get the microphone completely ill-prepared, but like meeting their hero, and they were like, "Um, Do you... is there a. Do you like football? Like, yeah. those were the kinds yeah, of like, questions he was, was getting. Like,
1: do you remember that time when Richard Sherman batted away the ball and then we went to the Super Bowl? That was awesome. That was awesome.
4: <laughs> that was awesome.
1: Uh, one of the things that Carol did say, by the way, I think town hall meetings are going, going bye bye, extinct. I can't imagine anyone in our generation ever going to a town hall meeting 20 years from now. If, if you live will, on an will, island, you probably will still
5: no go. There be no more that, town hall that meetings. That is extremely cynical and probably accurate.
1: <laughs> yeah, Pete Carroll said, and uh, Daryl Bevel, their offensive coordinator, said that this is a team that's going to be looking to be a little more running back by committee. Kristen Michael, getting into the mix, taking some carries from Marshawn Lynch. Are we buying it?
4: Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because I think that the Seattle Seahawks are the NFL's version of the San Antonio Spurs. They're Hmm. bold, they're unconventional, they do their own thinking, and now they've reached the portion of their franchise building where they can almost count on being a a playoff team. And whereas the Spurs are the first team in the NBA since 1976 not to have anybody play over 30 minutes a game, it makes all the sense in the world to extend Marshawn Lynch's career and at least make sure his legs are fresher in January. So why not get a guy like Kristen Michael who's – Vine videos and OTAs are starting to look like Pamela Anderson videos. People are just <laughs> people are, people are just dying to get their hands on oh, this guy. I was wondering where you're going with <laughs> no, this. this guy. I like it.
1: I feel like Kenny Britt's vines are a little more like Pamela Anderson <laughs> <laughs> videos.
4: <laughs> no, I mean just the quench to have these these videos where he's just leaving defenders. They can't even catch him. What one of the
5: privileges we have where we got to go to Orlando, for instance, and talk to a guy like John Schneider behind the scenes where he was a little a little more relaxed. He explained that one of the reasons that Kristen Michael saw, what was it, 18 carries last year, was that his game was very incomplete, like a lot of young r- rookie running backs, where he wasn't doing the small things they needed him to do. And they, one thing they mentioned last couple of days is he's doing those things now. His mm. role is going to increase. And a lot of people said, oh, this sounded like a mechanism to get Marshawn Lynch back into the building. He's skipping
1: OTAs. Right, and I I
5: think that that is actually not the case because there's no real threat of Lynch not being a part of this team. They know what he can do. Chris is right. This committee is the plan, and they picked Michael as an heir apparent. They love his game, and it's not a transitional game away from what Lynch does. He gives you more of that.
1: Lynch wasn't as good last year. He was still very, very, very good. Was, but was better,
4: wasn't as good. Was good in the playoffs. Yeah.
1: I'm just saying, overall, he was at a point where you were talking about as maybe the clear number two running back in the NFL. Probably wasn't at that level. So why not give some love to Kristen Michael? I like the town hall thing. If only because it gives Pete Carroll a chance to just take a little dig at Jim Harbaugh. Most coaches <laughs> are so afraid to... Throw shots, And he said Harbaugh, you know, he hemmed and hawed. He gave a bunch of politically correct answers when asked about Harbaugh. But then he said he's a great coach, and he's a great coach, and we love beating him.
0: <laughs> Just a
1: little. <laughs> why little, wouldn't you love beating him? Yeah, why wouldn't? I would love to beat Jim Harbaugh. He has to be one of the most be- guys that you would love to beat. Oh, yeah.
2: Tells us who's done your homework if you do. The, the best part of all of it, though, is that Pete Carroll had, like, the old man laugh at the end of it. He was like, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, So that's the news today, and we're going to keep the news pretty short because I'm so excited for our next guest, a former second-round draft pick in the NFL, former scout, has worked in the front office, and we love having him back on the show to tell us what he is hearing around the league. Let's welcome into the podcast, Bucky Brooks. Great to have you back in the studio and I, I wanted to start talking about something you wrote on the site. And you, you ranked the best <laughs> duos of wide receivers in the NFL. And you put Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson number one on that list. I was very surprised to hear that. And then, actually, this this morning, uh, Thursday morning, rather, on NFL AM, Garçon said, that's our goal, to be that number one duo, to pass Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, and Brandon Marshall so Pierre is on your side make the case for the Redskins well
3: you know the thing about the Redskins what, what I was doing I was trying to look at the entire receiver core. so from one to five or how many they have on their squad and so making the case for the Redskins as opposed to the Chicago Bears the Chicago Bears tandem is obviously outstanding Alshon Jeffrey Brandon Marshall are dynamic both guys had over 1200 yards you have Martellus Bennett who was fantastic in in the middle as a tight end, but they let Earl Bennett go, and you have a guy in Marquise Wilson who was an unproven threat. When I looked at the Washington Redskins, the fact that Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garcon are both Outstanding playmakers, Deshaun Jackson, we know what his big play ability is. Pierre Garçon led the league in receptions. And then you had Jordan Reed, who's kind of flying under the radar. But this guy, 67% of his balls, his receptions went for first downs. And they signed Andre Roberts, not knowing that they would get Deshaun Jackson. So you have three starting receivers plus a tight end. I think that separates them from other people because yeah. the depth and diversity and all the pieces of the puzzle complement one another, which I think is essential to a good passing game.
1: So you would give the best duo, maybe, to another team, but the best group to the Redskins. Complete
3: group, I think, to Washington Redskins. Hmm. Would, would I do think
4: that. Andre Roberts flies under the national radar, mm. but Bucky will probably tell you he's excellent after the catch.
3: You know, I mean, so now, man... All three really of those excited. guys are
4: excellent after the catch.
3: I'm really excited to see what Jake Rudin, and he said something yesterday that I thought that was really outstanding in his press conference. He talked about we want to have an offense that has the ability to run counter to anything that the defense does. So we can give you the zone read with Robert Griffin. We have the ability to run the ball powerfully with Alfred Morris, and now we have this receiving core where we can do any number of things in the passing game. And with John Jackson being able to stretch the field vertically, Pierre Gasson being able to do bubble screens and underneath stuff, and Andre Roberts being a talented Raw runner, plus, I mean, Jordan Reed in the middle. They just have a lot of weapons. Can he get it all done in terms of calling the plays and managing the game? That's tough, but I think I like the weapons that they have. The, in I
5: mean, the best thing for Gruden is he goes from Andy Dalton to <laughs> Robert Griffin, three. I mean, I think that is a guy, a quarterback you can do everything with. With Deshaun Jackson, though, are those numbers from last season? Is that a product of Chip Kelly's offense to some degree? Can you expect him to come in and duplicate that?
3: Well, I mean, I think obviously some of it is inflated by the way that Chip Kelly used him, but when you look back, In six years, he has 35 receptions over 40 yards or more, which is crazy production for a big play receiver. And now, putting him in Washington, where you have Alfred Morris, who you have to commit an extra guy to the box, he's probably going to see more one-on-one coverage than he's seen during his time, because before when he was in Philadelphia with Andy Reid, Andy wasn't committed to running the ball enough to really force people to have to respect the run with Shady McCoy. Mm -hmm. Now he goes to a situation where they have the ability to line up and really make you respect the run with Alfred Morris. And so, because that he will see the one-on-one coverage that he lives for and even though he's a smaller guy and people will walk up and press all he has to do is slip it once or twice and those are big games he may not catch as many passes but i think his career average has always been around that 16 to 17 yard mark he will have that kind of production in washington
1: is jay gruden an upgrade from kyle
3: shanahan To me, Jay Gruden's a little bit of a mystery. I think he is a mystery, and I think you could really knock him in terms of his ability to call plays because I wasn't Mm. overly impressed with what he did at Cincinnati. I felt like he underachieved based on the talent that they had. But I think sometimes you fall into a situation that's too good to mess up. I don't think he can mess it up. He has a quarterback that is a dual threat. He has a big running back in Morris. He has three wide receivers we've talked about. I mean, if they can find a way to cobble up protections just to keep Robert Griffin upright – I don't know how you can mess it up from a play-calling standpoint. Is right.
5: Hugh Jackson an upgrade from Jay Gruden? Absolutely. Yeah. Huge upgrade. I
3: think upgrade. we all think yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, huge upgrade.
1: We've got. I've got two counters for your Redskins have the best group argument. All right. All right. Green Bay. You got Jordy Nelson. You got Randall Cobb. You got Jarrett Boykin. You got their second-round draft pick. Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams slipped out of my mind there. That group. Maybe you're going to add your Michael Finley. You don't quite have the tight tight end right now. That's a pretty strong group right there. And then you go to Denver's another one. You at least have to look at right Demarius yeah, Thomas, th- Wes Welker, uh, Emmanuel Sanders. They're, Julius uh, Thomas, Ju- Latimer. Julius Thomas, Cody Latimer.
3: I like that. I put I <laughs> ranked them third. Here's here's the problem with the Denver Broncos in terms of like putting them one. Demarius Thomas is in his prime. He is a guy that is a stud. Wes Welker is on the backside of his career, and I would say that his production is slipping. And at 33 years old, I don't know how much he really scares people. The system that Peyton Manning runs really overwhelms and overshadows what the wide receivers do because you talk about Eric Decker having their production. Everywhere that Peyton Manning has been, Blair White had production when he was there. Austin <laughs> Collie. Anthony Gonzalez. Blair everyone, let's back off to Blair <laughs> everyone, White. I mean, like everyone, one everyone. So in terms of just the pure talent, I don't think those guys rank. And with the Green Bay Packers, I like Jordy Nelson, but if we were sitting out and about to go play pickup, I don't know if I would pick Jordy, Jordy Nelson over Deshaun Jackson. Oh, it's well, debatable I whether I would take him over Pierre Garçon. But I think Deshaun Jackson, when you look at the – Consistency and the track record. I'm just, I'm a D.J. fan over Jordy Nelson. <laughs> I think they're Jordy comparable. is I'm a taking stud.
1: Jordy over anybody on the Redskins. Does this playground have a sideline? Because if you need a guy to catch a
3: <laughs> ball on the sidelines, Jordy Nelson. Sweating? No,
5: I thought you were offering yourself. Oh, you wanted for me? That. No,
3: no. But then even <laughs> outside of that, like, like Randall Cobb <laughs> hasn't had a thousand-yard season. He would like, be
1: good on a playground, though. He
3: would be good on a playground. He's a do-it-all playmaker. I mean, Boykin, can, I can't even really talk about it until I see more okay. consistency. And then you know the tight end situation is in flux because we don't know if jermichael finley is coming back
1: well i hate to disagree with our you know honored guest here but i i'm going to take the packers out of that group are you taking the packers redskins or uh the broncos i think it's it's on paper at this point i go
5: i go redskins i think that's a strong group
4: wesley i can't take the packers if they don't have jermichael finley no i can't do that um i would probably take the broncos
1: yeah, that might be the safest pick. The Redskins do have some injury concerns. The quarterback a doesn't bit. come
3: included. Little like it's one of those toys. Now nah, I got that, you. The, the, yeah. Reds, the quarterback doesn't come included. So now we're just talking about trotting it out. So if we trotted out the Packers receiving core and we had Andy Dalton at quarterback, do we feel good about that team Here's what, maybe maybe Maybe
4: we should talk about the Bengals no. wide receiver core. Mm. Greg uh, assigned some Marvin Jones tape last <laughs> night.
3: I was impressed. What like was good, making plays. He was a good player. He was a good player at KL, and well, I don't he, know how he was a fifth-round pick, but he was a very good you, player. You talked to Hugh, right? Yeah, he was one of my guys.
4: Does Does he talk about Marvin Jones, like a
3: bigger role for him this year? You know, I think with, with Hugh Jackson, here's what Hugh does. Hugh kind of pokes the bear with every receiver there. He's going to tell them guys privately, you're the guy. You can be my number one guy. He did it with Denarius Moore with the Oakland Raiders. He builds those guys up like they feel like they're superheroes. What he's going to do is create a very competitive environment outside of A.J. Grant where those guys scratch and claw to get the football thrown their way. But what he's going to do to really help those guys, they're going to run the ball differently than they've ever done before in terms of being a powerful football team. If you go back and look at the way the Raiders ran the football when he was the offense coordinator and head coach, always a top 10 running game. And so anytime you're able to run the football effectively like that, he's really going to make the game very easy for Andy Dalton to have success, consequently those guys on the outside to have success.
1: All right, so no, no consensus here on the best <laughs> receiver group. That's no. all right. Uh, let's talk. Uh, let's switch to defense. Let's talk about Greg Williams, who is a guy that's relatively been under the radar considering what a spotlight he was under after the Bounty Gate scandal, and people said he would never return to the league, and now he's back in the league because he's got a good buddy in Jeff Fisher and because he's a good coach on defense. He's certainly got a lot of talent to work with, what do you expect his impact to be on that Rams defense?
3: I think you have a significant impact. This is the most talented team that he has taken over from a defensive standpoint. He has never been given this much talent up front and in the back end to do what he likes to do. So understand he's a disciple of Buddy Ryan. I mean, he wants to heat it up. He wants to bring pressure. He wants to do a lot of blisses because he wants to really make the quarterback feel the heat. And so last year the Rams had 53 sacks. 46 of those came from that defensive line. They did a lot of four-man pressures and really relied on those guys to get it done. Well, Greg Williams wants to dial it up and bring pressure. And the thing that I've learned about people that bliss is, You're not necessarily blitzing to get the blitzer home, but you're blitzing to make sure that your best guys get one-on-one situations. So with Robert Quinn and Chris Mm. Longs and Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers, you're now sending extra bodies so those guys can win one-on-one. And the fact that Robert Quinn has been able to Mm. sack the quarterback 19 times last year without having that, I think it'd be scary for people in the NFC West. And with Greg Williams, one common denominator he's always had, he's always had a dynamic safety that guy will now be T.J. McDonald. T.J. McDonald will come Is he come good in. enough for that? He's absolutely that good enough. You know, they gave him a little <laughs> bit of that role. He blitzed him a, a little bit last year. He had a sack. He had an interception. He can do a little bit of everything. But more importantly, he's a physical guy. And his best defenses, the Sean Taylors, the Blaine Bishops, even in New Orleans when he has Sharper and Roman Harper, those safeties are always incorporated into the mix, not only as blitzes but in the run game and also in terms of sending those remember me shots over the middle of the field. T.J. McDonald can do that.
1: Greg Williams is a guy, you're right, hasn't always had the greatest talent, and this group is about as talented as any in the league. Is this the most talented defense in that division? Wow, this Seahawks? <laughs> I mean, that is... What a, this might be the best defensive division. Well, the
3: Cardinals have fallen off. You know, I mean, yeah. gosh, you know, from top to bottom, their front seven is as good as anybody. And then when you look at the back end, I like their two corners. Janoris Jenkins, Jermaine Johnson is underrated. Uh, you have T.J. McDonald in the middle. Gosh, I wish they had a free safety that I really What do you love. think about the, the guy they drafted like, I, like, in I, like, I like LaMarcus joining. Yeah. He's also, if you think about Honey Badger, he can do some of those Honey Badger-like things. Blitz. He had five and a half sacks his last year at Florida State. They have a lot of talent. I think you can make that argument that they're right up there. They may be the best because I think San Francisco has fallen back to the pack a little bit. And I think Seattle is just so unique, but from – A talent perspective, St. Louis has a lot up front.
1: So you think the Seahawks is more coaching them up a little bit in the system and the the Rams might have a little more talent?
3: uh, I think the Rams may have more talent. I think those guys in Seattle absolutely believe in the system. They've done a great job of simplifying and developing those guys. But you really look at their defense, you're dealing with a lot of late-round draft picks. And that doesn't always mean something, but when we're picking them off the playground, and you talk talking right. about I want the more talented guys. The St. Louis Rams are probably more talented in most areas of that defense.
5: One one thing with St. Louis, it's tough to get overly excited about the overall operation because of the other side of the ball. For me, <laughs> Wesleyan <laughs> made the point in print yesterday that
4: what was it? They're doomed to they're mediocrity. They're doomed to mediocrity as long as they have Sam Bradford at quarterback.
5: Do they, you know they've got Brian Schottenheimer, and it's uh, some of us we've talked about up here that we feel like potentially it's Schottenheimer's philosophy that's maybe holding guys like Tavon Austin and others back a little bit. What what is your take on what's going on on that side of the ball?
3: I kind of fall right right in line with you guys. I do wonder if Brian Schottenheimer is creative enough to maximize what they have on offense. I know there was a lot of conversation about the guys need a receiver, they need to go and get a Sammy Watkins or somebody to juice it up, but they I mean, the 8th pick in the draft, you you're expecting Tavon Austin to be a difference maker. So now the onus really falls on Brian Schottenheimer to show that he has the ability to craft game plans to maximize the talent. We can say whatever we want to about Jim Harbaugh and what the San Francisco 49ers do. They're proving that Greg Roman is creative enough to create big play opportunities. Hmm. Arizona, we know what Bruce Arians does, what he did with Carson Palmer last year, what he's done traditionally with his offenses. Brian Schottenheimer has to step his game up and show that he has the ability to craft game plans to not only, make Sam Bradford look good, but to generate enough points to compete in a tough NFC West.
4: They've pumped a lot of resources into that wide receiver court. Jarrett Cook got a monster contract. All of their wide receivers, Brian Quick, Givens, Stedman Bailey, Pettis, these guys are all second, third-round draft
3: picks. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's time for those guys to grow up. And look, ultimately, we will judge them by the way their quarterback plays. But the way the quarterback plays will be determined on how Brian Schottenheimer crafts it around. He should sit down with Sam Bradford and figure out what he does really well and make sure that he does that over and over and over again. That's what the great play callers do. They take the strengths of the quarterback, and they find a way to recycle those same concepts over and over again by giving you window dressing with formations and motions.
1: I feel better now. I was feeling guilty for a while that we've – you know, just to the entire Schottenheimer family that we've unfairly disparaged him for months in this studio. (laughs) But now Bucky says it's cool. Well, I mean, I
0: can (laughs) can for his
3: dad. (laughs) Thanks. I I played for his dad. So I understand. And Brian and Brian was always around the program. And Brian, uh, Coached in San Diego. He did some stuff at SC. So he's been exposed <laughs> to a lot of things. And he was, you know, obviously the. Bucky's showing off the his Jets. back
1: pedal right here. I know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no. no, no, no. But I'm, no, I'll I come at him because I completely believe that in New York, he killed him. I believe the Jets had a team that was worthy of being a team that could go farther than they did. But offensively, he never figured out how to maximize what Mark Sanchez was or what he was. And he asked him to do too much. Hmm. Part of being a good coordinator is understanding clearly what your guy can do. And only put him in a situation where he's asked to do. So that. we
5: should almost be thankful as football fans that Robert Griffin III and Manziel <laughs> didn't wind up in St. Louis.
3: Yeah, because I, I, I wonder. I mean, I, I don't know. I like the new line, nickname for RG three, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> what did I call it? <laughs> Robert, Robert Griffin III? Three. I don't know. <laughs> That's you know, twice I, I just see things in print. <laughs> yeah, because it takes it takes a creative mind. It takes someone that can think outside the box. And he's very tied and rigid to the West Coast system, but also understand. He learned it from Paul Hackett, and Paul Hackett is a guy that has experience in the West Coast, but he doesn't strike you as a creative, innovative mind when it comes to drawing up plays and trying to create these game plans. Hmm. So for Brian, it's a challenge to think outside of the box. And also, he also sat at the dinner table every night with his dad, who was like, like we're going to run it, yeah. not turn it over, and find a way. That that kind of seeps into your thinking.
4: It's interesting that you mentioned asking Mark Sanchez to do too much, because in the book, Collision Low Crossers, which is about the 2011 Jets season, mm-hmm. it's funny, during the lockout, the, uh, Rex Ryan invites John Gruden in to talk to the coaches, and he got all over Brian Schottenheimer, wore him out, said, defend your point. Why are you asking Sanchez to do all
3: this? At the know, exact it's, same it's point It's funny because I had that conversation with a coach on their staff about how they always brought coaches in. to try and help him. They had not only John Gruden come in, they had Tom Moore come in. They tried to really show him how to call a game, how to structure a game, all those things. And there's an art to play calling, and we always talk about how the best play callers kind of have a stone-cold mentality. When you watch the New Orleans Saints play, Sean Payton will go off the grid to dial it up to find a way to create a big play. Mike McCarthy, to me, is one of the best play callers I've seen in terms of the way that he attacks the game from that standpoint. Ron Schottenheimer has to understand how to set the table so that he can create those counter plays to what they do in a game plan. That's what Gary Kubiak has done. That's why they're able to create those big plays in the offense.
5: I think Bucky's got a, you got a great opportunity to write eight. NFL.com play caller power rankings. <laughs> I like I, that idea. I would say the Schottenheimer, Schottenheimer family should not read that or listen to anything that's happened
1: here. <laughs> Something weird with with sons and families in that organization. You got Schottenheimer. You had Blake Williams running the defense last year, right? Basically, Greg Williams' his son. I'm not sure what was going on there while he was suspended. You know, just hire some new blood in the NFL. <laughs> So we uh we we like to shine a light not just on the big time teams like the Cowboys and all that but talk about some teams like the Rams and and the Chargers too. They haven't gotten a lot of attention this off season but they're having a change in their offense. No more Ken Wizenhunt. What are you looking for from the Chargers offense and, and Frank Reich this year?
3: So I made the ride down to 405 to go to their first o- uh OTA and you know surprisingly when I got there they were very organized. And I really dawned on you. Why what? was
1: that surprising? Well, I,
3: I, was just, I was just I was just surprised that they were as sophisticated as they were the first day of OTAs. Got it. Watching them, that entire practice, they ran no huddle. Phillip Rivers was in complete control of that offense. And I noticed, because I looked back, I was like, oh, Frank Reich is – is running the offense. So Frank and I played together in Buffalo. And really quickly in practice, I noticed that some of the K-Gun principles were in play. Some of the smash routes, some of the level concepts that you saw Buffalo run way back in the early 90s, they were running. But those same concepts were also a key part of what Indianapolis did for years. And because Reich spent a lot of time up there working with Peyton Manning and doing some of that no-huddle stuff that was very simple, but it was very, uh, I guess, an intention to really execution – I think they're going to give Phillip Rivers more leeway than he's ever had, and they're going to trust him to get it done running that no-huddle system. I think you'll see them play at a pace that we haven't seen them play at, and I think they're ramping up, and they'll be far more exciting than we're used to seeing the Chargers in terms of the passing act.
4: While you're here, we have to ask you something. We've been debating Ladarius Green. We love his talent, but I guess we're debating, like – is he going to be a 600-yard receiver? Or if he breaks out, could it be an eight or 900? Could he actually overtake Antonio Gates in production? Yes.
3: You know, gosh, what's so tough is because Antonio Gates wasn't there. He's the veteran. He's established. But at some point, you have to kind of pass the torch. I think Ladarius Green is ready to be the guy that assumes it. The key will be, will they use 12 first nail? Will they use one back, two tight ends some? How much will they use that? And how comfortable are they with trusting Ladarius Green to be the key playmaker between the hashes? When you look at that team and the way it's constructed, you have Keenan Allen on the outside. They're trying to get Malcolm Floyd back. You have Vincent Brown. You really don't have a, a, a proven commodity outside of what I'll say is Keenan Allen. So maybe they go with two tight ends early in the year, see how it works, and then eventually maybe Ladarius Green takes it over.
1: Well, you're talking about this hurry-up offense. That means more plays. That means more stats. Plus, you can't have an old 34-year-old Antonio Gates running up and down the field <laughs> on this fast break. You that's got a Latarius point. Green.
4: That's this, a good point. You don't want breaking. him to be the Shaquille O'Neal waiting for him to come back on offense <laughs> <laughs> when you're trying to fast break. This is good stuff, Bucky. <laughs> that's down, pretty, Breaking
1: some news on the fast break charges often, because that's a change from last year.
5: Yeah, and, what, and you know, last year, they were so run-heavy down the stretch, and its I think that's what paved the way for them to sneak into the playoffs and... That Broncos game and that night game was interesting, the way they attacked them. But also a guy like Danny Woodhead fit so well into Wiz and Hunt's offense. We saw him go get Dexter McCluster in Tennessee. What happens to some of those roles? Is is, is it going to all change? No,
3: I think those roles fit well. I think the big thing is they also got Donald Brown. And so understand, Frank comes from, Frank Wright spent a lot of time in Indianapolis. And so if you think about how the Indianapolis Colts offense ran when Peyton Manning was really doing it, the running back was like a secondary option. They ran the football, but they were never like this rough and rugged, mm. we're going to grind it and pound it. It was to supplement what the quarterback did. I think they're That's going to put the ball in a major change hands. from
4: the last six weeks of last year when Ryan Matthews was getting the ball 30 times a game. And he may still
3: get it because, see, he, here's what you have. You have different philosophy because Mike McCoy was with me in Carolina under John Fox, and the way that we ran the ball there and went to the Super Bowl was we pounded, 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 pounded. I think it really depends on each week. What they see the weaknesses of the defense are, and really, like now that we've seen Philip Rivers kind of go back to the good Philip Rivers, maybe they now have a more trust in terms of let's let Philip Rivers do his deal. He's an older guy. Let's give it to him and allow him to throw. There the ball seems over the
4: to yards. be a a philosophy in all of these offenses you're talking about. Is the new thing in the NFL? We saw how many resources the 49ers are put into the passing game. Now they got Stevie Johnson. They're a run heavy offense, but it's the new thing. You mentioned you wanna be able to have your offense be able to counter every single thing the defense does, so you can't be just run heavy or just pass heavy. It's all situational there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You wanna be able to be balanced. Um I think the old philosophy they always talk about is you have to uh, throw to score, run to win. You have to be able to run the football when people know that you're running the football. You also want to be able to run the football because it gives your team a a grit, a toughness that it needs to be able to win in December, in January, when you get the playoff football and the game kind of changes and slows down. But ultimately, the way the leagues, the league rules are, you want to open it up and really put it to those big bodies on the outside because you're basically playing basketball on grass. You miss a tackle here or there, you create those big plays. So when you talk about San Francisco going and getting All of those wide receivers, those guys that can win those one-on-one matchups, you're now saying that. Colin Kaepernick is ready to advance his game. So let's make sure we have enough weapons on the outside where we can build a passing game that allows him to play to his strengths.
1: Well, you mentioned Kaepernick. We've already discussed the Kaepernick contract and all the details and, you know, where the guarantees are. What was your thoughts when you heard about the Kaepernick contract?
3: You know, I, th- I, think, it's a, I think it's a good deal for both sides. And I know some people kind of take them to task, like, oh, well, he doesn't have all those guarantees. But I think the one thing that I've learned in looking at Darrell Reeves the last couple of years it's okay cashing $15 million checks every year and earning your keep, particularly while you're young. Sure. For Colin Kaepernick, <laughs> Sounds good. he gets an opportunity. Maybe if they don't like, he gets to go back to the table and they have to re-up. And we know that the money always goes up. It doesn't come down. And for him, he's a young guy. He's a guy who has really done great things outside of when he's had to play Seattle. That now they're trusting him to be able to be the man. And so if he has an opportunity with those receivers to really advance his game as a passer and really show people that he's more than this dual-threat runner that people are pegging him to be, I think he could be a dangerous thing. And I think he is really the future of the league at the quarterback position in terms of this. When you look at the high school game and the college game, all these guys that see on Friday nights and Saturday afternoons are guys who are mobile, who are athletic enough to make plays with their feet, but also have the wherewithal to make plays from the pocket. Colin Kaepernick did it. He's one of, one of a couple guys, I want to say, in NCAA history. 10,000 passing yards, 4,000 rushing yards. He's a unique specimen, a unique athlete. And as they expand their playbook, I think we'll have a greater appreciation for what he does. It may not be reflected in the numbers per se. He may not be a 300-yard passer each week, but he's so dangerous that he makes it really tough for defense to the game plan for him.
1: Well, if you're working Friday and Saturday, watching games and Sunday, of course. When do you get some time off here? Oh, Day man, off. Man,
3: it's football all the time. I mean, you gotta you gotta <laughs> know you gotta know what's coming. High school, college, it all. Works.
1: I mean, are there any more pocket just? stationary Drew Bledsoe, Peyton Manning-looking guys that are stuck in space, are they all just got – everyone always like, oh, this guy is surprisingly athletic, or he's athletic. Well, if they're all athletic, that's not surprising anymore. You don't have to tell me that he's surprisingly athletic. I expect them to be athletic. Well, I
3: think I think what we have to do is get past the traditional view of what we envision our quarterback being, because for so long we saw Dan Marino and Jim Kelly and those guys as our, our court pocket quarterback, our guy who is – that's the franchise quarterback. That's what he looks like. But the game is changing. Like When people talk about Andrew Luck, they always overlook his athleticism and how much he ran the ball at Stanford. He is, in essence, like the new school quarterback. He's a guy that if we asked him, we put him in Washington's offense and asked him to run the zone read, he absolutely could do it. You don't want to expose him to those kind of hits, but he's capable of doing it. I've always been taught in the West Coast offense that you want an athletic quarterback. From Steve Young to Brett Favre to all the quarterbacks that I was around in that system, Rich Gannon in Kansas City, all those guys could extend plays because when you go through your progressions, one, two, three, and four, if it breaks down, you have a quarterback that can still get you a four-yard gain. Staying ahead of the change. Bill Walsh always talks about climbing in the pocket, trying to minimize the negative yards. That's what those athletic mobile quarterbacks do. But you can't be a guy that is run-heavy, run-only. You have to be able to throw from the pocket. But anytime you can run the ball, it creates problems for the defense.
1: Before we let you go, let's get your thoughts on the revamped Steelers defense. The team
4: of ATL. Oh, stop. (laughs) That's the team of ATL? (laughs) No, well, Uh, I'm I'm campaigning for
1: it. No, well, we're – Holding a competition. None of the teams are aware of this, but we're going to. Last year, we chose around week five, six. We decided the Carolina Panthers were going to be the team of around the league. We were in early on them before they really ran off. That's the team we're going to root for as a group. This year, It's now back open to competition. We're going to choose a new team, most likely. And, uh, you know, it has to be unanimous. And and Wes, he likes the Steelers as an option. Um,
4: As Mayaka would say, I'm standing on the table for
1: the Steelers. Standing on the table for the Steelers. It's not a Um, a bad
3: team. We're
4: banging on it. We're standing on it.
3: (laughs) They finally have flipped their roster where they're now young and athletic at linebacker. It took them a while to get to the point where they were able to have these young athletic guys. You have Jarvis Jones, who's a second-year player, who should be more productive. You have Worlds coming off on the other edge. You have Lawrence Timmons, who we still want to consider. Him young but he's eight years in the league but the guy that they drafted ron shazier is a carbon copy of lawrence timmons so now what you have you have four guys in that linebacker core that have the ability to rush the passer and so when you think about dick LeBeau and the way that he wants to dial up that old blitzberg package and all the stunts and games they want to run they now have four guys in the second level that can do that And with Mike Mitchell coming over from Carolina, I was one of the ones that laughed when the Oakland Raiders took him because he was an unknown player from Ohio. Al Davis takes him, puts him in the lineup. He goes to Carolina, and he kind of shows up and makes plays. They did a lot of blitzing with Mike Mitchell back in the day with Carolina. I believe he will be the new Troy Polamalu in terms of the way that they use him. Watch him near the box. Watch him coming down, making big hits in the passing game. And maybe Troy goes to the deep middle and doesn't play the role that he customarily played.
5: If you're Johnny Manziel and you win that quarterback competition <laughs> and your week one start is against that defense, in Pittsburgh, could you possibly have drawn a worse scenario for a rookie quarterback to deal with?
3: Oh, it's absolutely a nightmarish for a young quarterback because, one, they're 3-4 team. You never know which guys are alive in terms of coming. And part of the success that Steelers had back in the day because they were one of the few 3-4 teams. So when they would bring pressure, you had a tough time figuring out how you're going to block it for that week. So for Johnny Menzel, who is maybe un- not used to making checks, making hot calls, seeing side adjustments – it's a lot to process. In that first game, if he's a quarterback, I would expect to see a lot of Ben Tate, a lot of Terrence West, and them punting a lot on fourth down because I can't imagine them allowing him A to lot of throw fourth downs. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine them. Punting to, on third yeah, down. Why not? I, I, I can't imagine, <laughs> I can't imagine school. them asking him to throw it 25 or more times. That's a recipe for one a disaster. One quick one.
5: Isaiah Crowell, we talked about him on our last cast. Why undrafted because of character issues, I'm assuming, but what's your take on this guy because <laughs> – well, Wesleyan used to watch
4: him in the old college bar, and the, yeah, they and, loved him, right? And uh, on Tybee Island, Georgia, you know, all out of UGA fans down there, the bar was crazy about this guy.
1: I like that Mark's now using the podcast to get personal scouting reports for his own team. <laughs> hey, he doesn't I, care about no, the listener. It's I find all for him, Mark.
5: he's enigmatic because it's like un, to not have a team even take a seventh-round flyer
3: on him. You know, sometimes that character thing gets in the way, and it prevents you from making a pick, but for him, it's an opportunity to really go in and show what he is. Sometimes when you're drafting the 7th round, it works against you because you don't have an opportunity to pick and choose where you go to, where you have your best opportunity to make the team. He was a talented running back in Georgia. He goes to Alabama State. He's certainly good enough he's quick enough he's physical enough it's about can he find a way very early in the preseason to show people that he can be not only a necessarily a bell cow but a guy that can contribute in a role but also play special teams because where he is he's going to have to find a way to make a contribution as a cover guy maybe as a returner Mm -hmm. to buy himself enough time to get on the field as a running back
1: i love it that's some great stuff from bucky brooks to recap if if you guys missed or you kind of were zoning out over the last few minutes we got some takeaways philip rivers it's going to fulfill his destiny as the up-tempo, next-level Peyton Manning. Next level. It seems like something that's perfect for Philip Rivers. The Washington Redskins, Bucky Brooks says, is the best receiver group in the league. And he's smarter than us, so we'll have to agree with him. <laughs> uh, Mike Mitchell. I, I hadn't really thought about his impact on Troy Palomaro. It might change Palomalo's role, and maybe it's just planning for life without Palomalo. This, this could be his last year. And then uh, shut up about the Colin Kaepernick. Contract everyone, Bucky Brooks says, so you just shut up about it right and <laughs> stop criticizing that's all <laughs> i'm saying i'm going to just say it, I think uh, that was another A plus, another home run.
3: Oh, I, I think cool. Bucky's now Thank locked
4: you. in as a recurring guest, whether he wants to be or not. Right? I like it. <laughs> yeah, we definitely not good
5: news for Kevin
4: Patra. Oh,
1: well. <laughs> wow. We well, we might not even have Dan back. Who knows? Uh, Bucky, thanks so much hey, again. Thanks for having me. It was great. Out of the park. Great having you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
5: I feel like I I just soaked in a giant sponge of like behind the scenes whispers and.
1: You don't feel like a dumpster. You know how he likes to talk about dumping <laughs> off his knowledge. <laughs> Some of that stuff was really new. The Chargers, you know. I know, Mark, your shift is up today, so I guess I'll assign this one out to Chris Wesley. I think we need to do a post on that Chargers information, the up-top-belt offense. That was good. That was good stuff. Um, (laughs) We will be back on Monday, and our humble host, Dan Hansis will be here. And we can't wait for him to get back from Texas and... We're going to be doing some Win West's Toaster next week. Zach, I know we're going to be in a different location next week at some point.
2: This is all, yeah, we got technical difficulties, but that's what the ATL podcast is all about.
1: Yeah, we're moving studios. They're going to be fixing up this studio during the summer, so we'll we'll come up with something, but we'll be back for three shows next week. For Zach the Gold Standard, Mark Sessler, and Chris Wessling, I'm Greg Rosenthal. We will see you Monday.